Welcome back to Senior Living Arizona, devoted to educating and enlightening the senior community and their families within our beautiful state and beyond regarding retirement housing and getting the most out of aging. On behalf of Senior Living Services in Arizona, I'd like to introduce today's host, Linda Demita. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in with us today. I'm really happy to share this information with you. So let's jump right in. In today's climate, where we have such a large percentage of folks over the age of 65, it has been reported by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services that nearly 70% of those people will require long-term care. So what does long-term care even mean and how does this translate to our seniors of today? Well, it has many levels to it and we hope to make it a little easier to understand. In today's episode, we'll be expanding on the difference between assisted living and memory care. But first, let's just take a brief look at the history of senior housing to illustrate how these concepts have evolved. According to Jeff Hoyt, Editor-in-Chief of SeniorLiving.org, an organization divided to providing a comprehensive directory of senior living options, in the early part of the last century, hundreds of huge voluntary and nonprofit old age homes were built. They were equipped with gardens and farms to help support the residents, and as their populations grew, additional buildings like hospitals, barns, and homes for the staff were added. For people who were lucky enough to outlive diseases and injury at a young age and in their early adulthood, living into ripe older age was just as expected as in our society today. In fact, people who reached the age of 65 in 1900 could expect to live another 10 to 12 years. There was even a magazine in 1898 that boasted an article with the names of hundreds of people who lived to be 100 years or older, including one who made it to 128. Holy moly, can you imagine living to that age in today's world? There were all kinds of changes happening at that time in the U.S., including the fact that we became an urban society. By the end of the 20th century, 75% of the population were city folk, as opposed to 40% in the early part of the 1900s. Along with that came the reality that the rich could afford to build new buildings and therefore abandoned homes in the cities that in turn created tenements where sometimes several hundreds of people would live. Clearly, that had an impact on older family members who needed care. In addition, it was revealed that country people had large families that ended up being economic assets, but children in the city became economic liabilities. Family structure and size changed along with how city dwellers worked for other people more than for themselves, and they could stay in those jobs long term. But if injuries occurred in the workplace, many people lost their salaries and became financially dependent on their spouses and children who could not earn enough to support their families. Then the epidemic of tuberculosis spread through urban society because of the close living conditions. This spawned the development of public institutions designed to provide care for chronic conditions. Many people were unable to afford their own care, so local governments erected new buildings specifically to manage these issues. 
Eventually, conditions improved as laws were enacted to support better medical care in these facilities. That's good news, huh? And as things progressed, then private duty nurses came into play, and of course then, visiting nurse associations were created. During this time, more people became unable to support themselves or rely on family as they aged, so various states began to provide public cash assistance to help the impoverished elder community. Quoting SeniorLiving.org's findings, somewhere between 2% and 4% of the population aged 65 and older may have been living in some sort of institutional setting prior to the Great Depression. Not all of these people needed long-term care. Many times they just had no other place to go. There were no reliable statistics at that time. So these are just estimations. But what's so interesting about this report is the findings of Bruce C. Vladek, the professor of health policy and geriatrics at the Mount Sinai School of Medicine in New York, who estimated that by 1930, there were as many elderly people in facilities for the mentally ill as there were in poor houses. Voluntary facilities and charitable facilities combined. Now, if his estimates are accurate, then about half of the total elderly population living in an institution in the early 1900s may have had some sort of mental disease or condition, which is about the same ratio as we see today in nursing homes and assisted living facilities. In addition, one of the more comprehensive surveys was done in New York just prior to the 1929 stock market crash. It determined that 50%, now this is a quote, 50% or more of the age 65 plus population was dependent on relatives or friends either living with them or getting financial assistance from them to live somewhere else. And two and a half percent were living in poor houses or mental hospitals, and one to two percent were living in private homes for the aged. If those percentages were representative of the national experience, that would mean that about 175,000 people aged 65 or older were living in poor houses or mental hospitals and 70,000 were living in nonprofit or proprietary homes. Note that a significant percentage were self-sufficient because they were still working. Well, that is a fascinating summarization of that early movement towards elder care and housing in our country. So now let's translate this to modern times in the 2020s where we have evolved not only in services available to our elder population in the U.S., but the language has evolved to include communities instead of being called facilities. We talked about this in an earlier episode of how we tend to automatically think of any kind of retirement housing as a facility, old folks home or a nursing home, rather than a community of like-minded and similar aged people with services and amenities available to nurture their quest for aging successfully. Our perspective greatly influences our ability to decipher and deduce what a quality community is for either a loved one or for ourselves. We are certainly very fortunate that in today's world, we have options available ranging from independent retirement living communities to assisted living, and then on to deeper levels of care, including memory care and then skilled nursing. 
Since we've covered what the difference is between independent and assisted living in our previous podcast, now we'll take a step further and expand upon the difference between assisted living and memory care. First of all, it's important to note that assisted living has services that cater to the senior whose needs have progressed where living independently is no longer easy to maintain. Generally, the resident leads a largely independent life with some assistance when needs increase, ranging from meal preparation to transportation, housekeeping and laundry, medication management, bathing, or perhaps even help with mobility. Assisted living is also vitally important for a senior who is no longer ambulatory, meaning one has difficulty transferring, for example, from a chair to the bed or from a scooter to the toilet by themselves. Also, assisted living has levels of services and amenities that increase as the resident's needs increase. Have you ever known an elder who has minimal mobility or independence when it comes to daily activities of living, but they still have all their wits about them? They can carry on a conversation and they have a sharp memory and enjoy whatever activities they can manage that keep their mind active and purposeful. Some of these folks will conduct every aspect of their care and are often very clear what they want and and need and communicating those things with ease, although they may not be able to physically perform those duties. Now, these are examples of how assisted living services are applied to an elder requiring more help. These levels of services in assisted living are consistent with memory care, but with memory care, these levels tend to go beyond those basic services to increase the quality of life for those who are dealing with Alzheimer's and dementia. Memory care communities are designed to be safe, secure, and assuasive for our loved ones who suffer from memory loss conditions. It is a major component of a responsible and quality community to offer additional activities promoting socialization to assist residents in not only being stimulated, but also more calm in their everyday existence. It's been proven that these primary principles offered in a more structured form lend to the residents' comfort relieving them of anxiety, which is one of the greatest challenges people face when dealing with memory issues. When reviewing the symptoms of Alzheimer's, for example, the early stages include memory loss, misplacing items, forgetting the names of places and objects, repeating oneself like asking the same question over and again, and then the hesitancy to try new things. It may seem these are just signs of aging, And in my personal experience in caring for my mother and father, my mother had Parkinson's disease and struggled with the simplest tasks such as feeding herself or even blowing her own nose when the disease progressed. But my mother was quite with it mentally until near the end of her her life. She had a way of ordering us around and getting what she wanted, although her physical condition was deteriorating. Now, my father, on the other hand, was physically fairly healthy, aside from type 2 diabetes and blood pressure issues that we kept under control with medication and dietary choices. 
but he exhibited some of the early signs of dementia. Thankfully, they never progressed past a manageable stage, but I still needed to handle his finances and doctor's appointments, etc., because he just got very easily overwhelmed and couldn't think for himself. He was well off where he lived for four years at Sedona Winds Independent Living, and then he moved to assisted living at their sister property next door, where he needed help with his activities of daily living. But thankfully, he never needed to move to memory care. But as symptoms advance for elders diagnosed with dementia or Alzheimer's, they will include increasing confusion and disorientation, obsessive, repetitive, or impulsive behavior, delusions, problems with speech or language, which is also known as aphasia, disturbed sleep, changes in mood such as depression and anxiousness, frustration or agitation, and then difficulty performing spatial tasks and agnosia, which is the inability to interpret sensations and to recognize things. I personally would not have been able to handle this by myself if my father were living at home with me and if he was exhibiting these behaviors, and not many people can. This is something more of us must face because 3 million cases of Alzheimer's per year are now very common in the U.S. today. Managing these behavioral symptoms is truly best left to the professionals trained to handle it. This is where a memory care community comes in. Now, when transitioning from one's home or from independent or assisted living to memory care, be sure to research communities that offer a safe and supportive environment. Just like when seeking retirement housing, a community should feel really comforting and inviting to you when you enter. How engaging the staff is with the residents is a sure sign to be very aware of. Of course, all the amenities and services of assisted living should be afforded immediately. The efforts made to communicate these imperative offerings will be a telltale sign of the efforts the staff makes with their residents. If you know your symptoms are going to progress or you're seeking a home for your loved one who will be faced with the challenges of progressive degenerative dementia, wouldn't you want to know that you or your loved one will be with people who truly care? Of course you would. Now, these amenities should include the services mentioned for assisted living, along with help with activities of daily living, but also daily group and individual therapeutic recreational programming, such as brain games that are specifically designed to slow the progression of memory loss. They're super important. An in-house medical alert system is also a plus and will add feelings of security for the resident who can remember to call for help when needed. This supports them greatly. Imagine yourself in their position, what it feels like to be confused and to know there's someone close by when you need it. I, I know that that would mean the world to me. And definitely, you will want 24-hour, seven-day-a-week security. People with dementia will wander and without security, the consequences can be seriously dangerous and even deadly. There should be an outdoor space 
with pathways or a garden with sitting benches to enjoy because sunshine and nature are calming and soothing and essential for the elder suffering from any kind of memory loss. Actually, sunshine and nature are essential for all of us, right? Indeed, though, for the seniors who do not have that awareness for themselves, a necessary virtue of a worthy community will have this amenity available for them. Some communities will even offer an anti-wandering system that includes a tracking device so their caregivers can monitor the exact location of the resident. For us here at Senior Living Services in Arizona, we intend to educate our audience on the aspects of retirement living that are essential to aging successfully. Times have changed from a century ago, and there are wonderful options available to our older generation of today. And finally, make sure that beyond all else, when seeking any kind of community for yourself or a loved one, whether it be assisted living or memory care, that the kindness, compassion, and care of the staff is tangible. No one deserves any less. This is your host, Linda Damita, wishing you longevity, laughter, love, and the ultimate wealth of health. Thank you so much for joining us today on Senior Living Arizona. Please share this podcast with friends and family and help seniors find the way to live life to the fullest. Help Senior Living Arizona increase our reach by taking a few moments to write a review. Senior Living Arizona is dedicated to bringing helpful tips that support aging successfully. Please reach out to us with topics you'd like us to cover. You can find us on social media at Senior Living Arizona and on the web at www.slscommunities.com.